So we start this episode of the Mystic and the Skeptic back to the conversation with Dr. Michael Heiser regarding the Bowie Synagogue shooting committed by John Ernest. And in the last episode, he asked me, what did I know about the Westboro Baptist Church? It's interesting because they are a very well-known group of provocateurs. He was asking me if they had anti-Semitic hatred just like this young man did. It is documented by the Anti-Defamation League that in some of their articles on their website, such as one published on October 6, 2011, the Westboro Baptist Church uh, describes the Holocaust as God's punishment on the Jews. The founder of, or the leader of the group, uh, says the following on Westboro Baptist Church uh, frequently asks questions, what do you think of the Jews? Quote, the only true Jews are Christians. The rest of the people who claim to be Jews aren't, and they are nothing more than typical impenitent sinners. The vast majority of Jews support derogatory term for homosexuals. In fact, it is the official policy of Reformed Jews to support same-sex marriage. Of course, there are Jews who still believe God's law, but most of them have even departed from that. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or Gentile as long as you believe in Christ. End quote. That was November 17, 2006. And then in an article by the Information League, they also quote uh, the leader. Articles called Extremism in America's Westboro Baptist Church in their own words, on Jews, from October 11, 2011. Quote, Homosexuals and Jews dominated Nazi Germany. The Jews now wander the earth, despised, smitten with moral and spiritual blindness by a divine judicial stroke. And God has smitten Jews with a certain unique madness. Jews thus perverted out of all proportion for their numbers energized the militant sodomite agenda. Jews are the real Nazis. End quote. We later discuss how it's um, theologically acceptable to condemn different groups. But again, I'm trying to get to the point of can the Christian community make sure to condemn people like them so then there's no confusion. People know that Westboro Baptists, anti-Semitic groups, white nationalists, Cuckoo's Klan, and people like that are offshoots, heretical, or unfaithful witnesses to the Christian message and that it's unacceptable to hold those views. It's taken a lot for major Christian denominations to make those statements, and there are some that are now being couched under political rhetoric, some negative views towards Jews. We return to our interview with Dr. Michael Heiser regarding what could cause a devout Christian to hold so much hatred in his heart and hurt other people because they don't believe what he does. And we're talking about the Poway synagogue shooter, John Ernest, and this happened in April of this year well you know some people like this isn't my issue like you were saying that the catholic church um, became this monster but the catholic the traditional catholic church is actually very consistent with their theology their theology teaches that unless you believe a certain way you are going to hell and then the people that they see as the enemy are the ones who deny that so the first ones in line are the jews then the pagans and then everybody else so in the same way a westboro baptist group Right, but there's 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 not an advocacy to send people to health by killing them. I mean, you can you can disagree theologically. You know, a, a, a Jew, and again, some of the Jews I know would would certainly you know put the hand up in the air here and say Mike is just completely nuts and he's misguided. I, I understand that, you know, because of you know the, the person of Christ and whatnot. There's a, a fundamental disagreement there. You know, but but they're not looking at me. 
you know, thinking that I deserve some sort of physical punishment for it. So, so your, your question takes an obvious thing that yes, there's, there's, there are diametrically oppositional views here. And in the case of religion, you know, it, it, it can, it can be, it doesn't have to be, but it can be this heaven or hell question. Okay. That's true. That's, that's transparently obvious, but your question, the way it was worded, sort of assumes that there's an advocacy element that attaches to it, that we've either got to send the opposition there or they deserve some physical punishment, like, like we want this to happen to them. And, and oh, I, I hope we get to be the ones to do it. Let me give you an example from history. So my ancestors are um, Jews from Spain and the the Roman cat. Oh, wow. Well, there, there you go with the Inquisition. I mean, they... Well, but, but real... Your ancestors would have suffered greatly, right? So, so the the Roman Catholic king said we can't have the Jews around because they're being a bad influence to the Jews who were forcibly converted to Catholicism, and then they created the Inquisition to hunt down heretics who they saw were returning to Judaism. So, so the, the so it was a life or death, right? Because and and why did they why did they do that? because they married the church to the state. And so the solution to that is to actually actually uh, pay attention to and live by New Testament theology, which says you shouldn't marry the church to the state. But again, you know, once you do that, and by the time, you know, that time period, I mean, you've got centuries just build up accrued to this, this unbiblical thing, okay, this, let's just call it a non-New Testament thing, yeah, it does have a life of its own. People don't know any better because the Catholic Church also, you know, forbade the independent study of Scripture where somebody might find out, hey, we screwed this up. You know, so again, these are all historical realities. Um, that, that's, again, certainly obvious. But what they are is they're, they're not New Testament theological realities. They're not something that derives from a careful study of the text. There's something that derives from history, you know, from the 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 notion. And again, I'm not saying it was sinister at the beginning, you know, because Christians were persecuted a lot. Oh, isn't it great that Theodosian, you know, legalized Christianity, made it the official religion? Now we don't, you know, we don't have to worry about our kids getting sold into brothels anymore. And you know, I mean, you know, I mean, I get it. I, I get it that that would have been a good thing, but there there were just people who, again, ignored. The, the admonition of Jesus to keep these things separate and married them. And, and now we have to live with the results, whether it be a historical perspective or, or, or somebody that's imbibing in the same thinking now. You know, it's a, it's a terrible thing. But, you know, what, what, someone, what someone does, you know, in, in the name of their religion, you know, doesn't have to be an accurate reflection of what in this case one of their sacred books would say you know what it what it takes is it takes influence it takes power you know by the historically speaking you got these two things married you know if, if you want to you know live eat have a job you know get married have kids you know and and not be living under tyranny you know most people are just going to go along with that and and again when you take the knowledge source away you know, that you forbid people from actually, you know, reading the scriptures, you know, whether they can, assuming they can read, but, you know, the, the, the Bible was on the list of forbidden books, you know, at one point in Catholicism. When you do stuff like that, 
your interest is not in people learning the New Testament. Okay, your interest is you listen to me and we're going to maintain power. And this is what you're supposed to believe. And if you don't believe, we're going to excommunicate you because we've taught another false doctrine that the church is the dispenser of grace. The church is the one that sends you to heaven. None of this is New Testament. These are all power mechanisms using, again, in this case, the New Testament to create a political theology. And unfortunately, it worked pretty well. And it's, it's been around for a long time. And this is one of the, the sort of extreme results, you know, thankfully not so much anymore, but, but still, yes, it, it, it does happen. Like with, you know, again, the guy you opened the show with, but it's just awful across the board. It's awful thinking. It's, 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 I, I would be willing to call it just a slander of the new Testament. I think it's a slander of the Hebrew Bible to use the, the, the prophetic, you know, stuff. You know, what's going on in, you know, during the monarchy and the divided monarchy. I think that would be a slander of the text. That, that isn't what the text is, is supposed to tell us to do in terms of our life. Um, you know, I, I just see bad thinking everywhere I look here that is entrenched culturally in history, you know, unfortunately. So, Dr. Heiser, if one of your students came up to you and he was ranting about how the Jews have messed up the world, but then he went into... They, they kill Stephen, they're killing uh, Palestinian and Syrian Christians, they are um, destroying the, the moral fabric of America. H how would you counter or even, you wouldn't waste your time? Am, am, I, am I in a good mood or a bad mood when I encounter that? <laughs> but, but the question, if, if most people say, well, I don't want to waste my time with a crazy guy, uh, isn't there like a responsibility to, to kind of try to gear the person in the right way? Yes, there is. There is. And I, this is why I don't know if you're familiar with my middle earth analogy, but, but I am a scholar that does spend time in what I affectionately call Christian middle earth, where you have a lot of, um, you have a lot of misguided thinking. It, it's not all equally bad or you know, equally tortured exegesis, but there's a lot of goofy stuff. And, you know, I've spent the better part of 20, 25 years in that for that reason. Now, I don't spend all my time there because it would probably make me unhinged. Uh, it's just the kind of place that, you know, when I when I visit, you know, the, the this sort of world of popular Christianity that, that gets fed off the internet, you know, it's one of those, do I laugh or cry, you know, kind of experiences. But I'm in there a lot because I do think scholars generally should serve the public interest. And in particular, this is destructive. You know, when, when you see something destructive going on, yes, you have a moral obligation to try to disabuse this person as well as you can, you know, of of terrible thinking. And in this case, it's very obvious to see, you know, where this can lead. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we, we should be doing that. But you're, you're also correct. Most of the time it just gets written off to the periphery. You know, it's, we got a bunch of crazy people out here and, you know, I, I got better things to do or I can only have an impact on, on one crazy person. What good is that going to do? Uh, again, that these are just excuses I really do think that we should, again, be, be doing what we can in whatever place we're at, you know, whatever our station is, uh, 
you know, to try to do something, you know, and in my case, I have a YouTube channel. I mean, we, we try to bite into, again, the crazy topics. You know, I, I do a little bit of podcasting about it. I, I, I do interviews on, on, you know, weird shows, you know, like Coast to Coast AM and stuff like that. I've, I've been doing that for 20, 25 years. And yes, it, it you know, I, I probably want to want to cry more than laugh. Um, it's very frustrating. But I think we, we still need to at least take a shot at it, you know, just try to do something useful here. And, and the reason we're taking a shot at it right now is because uh, going back to the example of the uh, there's a documentary where they have a, a white supremacist ch a chaplain who prays with the, the men before they go and protest. And, you know, we had the Charlottesville uh, situation uh, a year and a half ago. And then now there's people who are piggybacking on each other. Um, going back to uh, the struggles with the with the um, Christendom as as a, as a, as a theocratic kingdom, a lot of these shooters are saying that they're uh, reclaiming the legacy of Christendom and that they're the new crusaders and that they're the new founders of, of okay. mm -hmm. All right. Let's, let, let's, let's revive and restore what this terrible idea of marrying the church and the state. Now they don't put it that way. They think it's a great idea. But that's that's what they're that's what they want. They want to marry the you know their their uh, understanding of their faith, specifically to you know, in some cases nationalism. In some cases, it's bigger than nationalism. Uh, you know, it's more ethnic driven or whatever. You know, racial theory, this and that. But at the bottom, you know, the underlying all of this is let's revive and restore a really crappy idea. You know, an idea that specifically Jesus said, no, don't do that. <laughs> you know, that's where they're at. But, but you know, and you ask, well, why do they do that? Are they just dumb? Well, I think in many respects, they don't look. If the leadership does look, what they're fueling this because, you know, they want power. Why, why, do, why does any group, you know, I think this is a, a sort of a post-Babel, Tower of Babel impulse, this impulse for utopian, you know, utopianism. Well, people forget, well, what, you know, to have a utopia, what do you do with dissent? You have to crush it. Okay, but, but people want their vision of utopia so badly uh, that they're willing, you know, to have other people crushed. And they're going to demonize those other people that they don't like, that they know they're going to have to crush anyway. You know, this, this gives me a reason to crush them. You know, and, you know people... As, as Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful and wicked, you know, above all things, you know, it, it, this is, this is the human condition, you know, the, the this, it's depravity. Again, it's what you'd, you'd call in the Hebrew Bible, it would, it would be depravity. And one of the, one of the, the main sort of ways that depravity shows itself is a hunger and a lust for power over other people. And this is what they want. This is what this is what drives the bus, a sense of superiority, a sense of wanting power over another group. You know, maybe there's a sense of desperation that there's so much in the world going on in the world that I don't like. I have to find some rationale, somebody to blame for it. And so, you know, we'll, we'll pick this group or that group, you know, but it, it's all in the name of, of justifying getting what they want and controlling 
and dominating other people. It's wicked. You know, it, it, it is the very antithesis of, of Christ's model of, of a servant, and, and his model of servanthood was based on the Old Testament concept of imaging God. This is why you have the New Testament writers take the concept of imaging God and apply it to Jesus, you know, the, about being a disciple of his and, and imaging him because he is the quote-unquote express, the perfect image of, of God. I mean, it, it all goes back to, you know, to this kind of, of thinking, this is what this is what Jesus wanted, you know, that to to have the good character of God. Um, but you know, that doesn't give you power. You know, it, it, it led to Jesus, you know, saying things like, you know, turn the other cheek, and the meek shall inherit the earth, and you know, all this all this other you know stuff that these white supremacists and, and others that want to use the New Testament they they skip that stuff just like they're skipping Jesus saying, you know. Let, let's keep let's keep the, the believing community, the church, and Caesar separate. It, it just doesn't serve their purpose. In the book Jesus of Nazareth by Joseph Ratzinger, one of the, our last popes, he exonerates the Jews for the killing of Jesus and only blames the leaders of the first century Jewish community. That's interesting since it always goes back to we need a religious figure to say what makes sense, what is historically the case, that the Jewish people had nothing to do with the killing of Jesus. Christians would say that it was a crowd of Jewish people in the first century, where it was the religious leaders at that time. This blaming them for things that happened thousands of years ago is part of what is known as the mythical Jew conspiracy, where Jews are blamed for anything that ever happened. There's a thin line between religious bigotry and political bigotry, I, I believe. And let me let me tell you guys uh, how this works. Some people have a lot of problems with the Jewish community during ancient times, during this time, during modern times. And they like to disparage the, the Jewish leaders. It includes not only uh, Caiaphas and Annas, the two priests at the time of the trial of Jesus, but also the Talmudic rabbis the Jewish sages who wrote the, the Talmud. In a radio show called The Bible Answer Man, someone called Hank Hanegraaff, uh, a Christian apologist, to ask him about how he felt about the Israel-Palestine conflict. And he said, I am not pro-Israel, but I'm pro-justice. And in a lot of cases, people assume that Jews are not pro-justice because they support Israel, because they don't like what happened in in the state of Israel, and that's where the anti-Semitic tropes come back to haunt the Jewish community. Another thing sometimes is brought up is that the Jewish community is willfully trying to undermine the teachings of Christ, and that they're trying to withhold the prophecies or the acceptance of Jesus from the people. I've written in response to this because it just seems very strange, but um, what I like to share is that Jews don't accept the claims of the New Testament mostly because of what is known in theological circles as theodicy. And that is the idea that there is suffering in the world. The concept of the Messiah in ancient times and even today has to do with the restoring of the idyllic place, either Eden or the theocratic kingdom in the, in the Holy Land. So when they see that things are still in chaos, where there's war, there, there's... Uh, famine and plagues and things like that. Religious Jews feel that that was not changed, that, you know, Jesus lived and died and 
things are still pretty bad for everybody. So it's not specifically against Jesus, it's against the situation that we encounter as human beings. So um, just trying to spell more myths that, that are brought up. And the one that I ran it across this week, there's a passage that uh, enemies of Jesus are being blamed for the blood of Abel was the son of uh, Adam and Eve that was killed by Cain. Now, as we were talking about Jews being blamed for killing their prophets, there's a passage in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 11, verse 51, where Jesus says the following, quote, starts off at 50, quote, Therefore this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. And then he goes into uh, a diatribe against the, um, the teachers of Torah at that time. And chapter 1152, quote, Woe to you experts in the law, because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered, and you have hindered those who were entering. And then when Jesus went outside, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began to oppose him fiercely and to beseech him with questions, wanting to catch him in something he might say. So he was he was fighting with the Pharisees when this happened. He has woes against them. One of the experts of the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry. And you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. Woe to you because of you build tombs for the prophets and it was your ancestors who killed them. So you testify that you approve what your ancestors did. They kill the prophets and you build their tombs. Because of this, God in his wisdom said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some whom they will kill and others they will persecute. And that quote is from, there's nowhere to be found in the Bible. So the difference between Jews and Christians is that Jews see Israel, the Jewish people, as sacrosanct. And sacrosanct is a fancy word for holy or hallowed, respected, unimpeachable, unchangeable, invulnerable, untouchable, inalienable, too special, too important or valuable to be interfered with. So that's really the difference. If something's sacrosanct, you try to think of it in a positive light. If something is not sacrosanct, you can insult it and talk trash all day long. So Christians see the church as sacrosanct. The Jewish people see the Jewish people as sacrosanct. It's a never-ending battle. Before we run out of time, um, there's a, a few Bible passages from the New Testament that I want to discuss. So it seems like uh, in the manifesto, he's alluding to John 16:2, And when Jesus says that you, you'll be kicked out of the, uh, the synagogues, I, I think he says that in Matthew and the Sermon on Mount as well. Um, and, and this guy or other people take that to mean that the Jews are persecuting Christians nowadays. Is that's a completely there are people who even wonder if, if that was truly happening in the time of Jesus or is it something that happened later and then it was uh, reworked into the words of Jesus to to pinpoint at the division between different Jewish groups. But um, how can someone with, within the context understand um, this form of persecution and not take it like personal? Well. The very next verse, okay, John sixteen two. You know, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering service to God. Verse three, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father, nor me. So, if you're a Christian and you want to be like Christ, 
and you want to be like the father, the God of Israel, the God of the Jew, and the God of the Christian, you don't do these things. It's very plain. It's not a conundrum. You know, again, it's it's kind of a good, so let's just lift verse two out of that and then, you know, run, run you know, roughshod over it. And this is the way it's typically done. I mean, again, we, we shouldn't be surprised with this. This is the way it's typically done. But the way, you know, I, I would, again, if I have somebody quote this, you know, to me, I'm going to say, hey, you know, can we throw verse three in there? You know, because this is what you're not supposed to do. So let, let, let's try not to just, you know, rape the text. Um, but uh, again, that, that's probably if I'm in a cranky mood, I would say rape the text. But, you know, again, I, I run into so much of this stuff that it's, you know, I'm with you. It's disturbing. It, it, it's all too frequent. It's not like every time I hop on, you know, hop on the web, I see this stuff, but it's all too frequent. You know, and, and it's just, it's a, it's a shame that people are so biblically illiterate, you know, that, that this is what it's come to, this sort of proof texting. You know, and historically, yeah, you know, Christians did persecute Jews. Jews persecuted Christians. Jews persecuted Jews. Christians persecuted other Christians. I mean, it, you know, everybody's persecuting some, you know, either the, the, the outsider, the, the rival, or, or even there are people in their own group, you know, it, and again, it all goes back to, you know, how does this image God? You know, how, how does this, you know, create the kind of community that it should be really clear that God wanted even as far back as Eden? Okay, how does, how does it create this thing that God, you know, prompted God's original desire to even create humanity? How does it do that? But see, that's a big picture question. That's, a, that's an upper level, you know, question that uh, unfortunately too many people don't ask these sorts of things. They don't, you know, look for the, the wider biblical theological context, again, what we would call the meta-narrative of Scripture. They don't bother with that. You know, I, 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 there's this thought I want to think. There's this person I hate. There's this belief I want to have. And by golly, I got my Bible verse for it, so don't bother me. You know, that, that's just the situation we're in. Okay, so then we go to... This is someone that I found, and I find it super uh, abuse of the text. So you tell me if I'm wrong. So in Romans 11:28, most uh, translation it says, "For as regard of the gospel, they're enemies on account of you, but as regards of election, beloved, and on account of the patriarchs." This is speaking of Jews who don't believe in Jesus. But in the Oxford uh, translation, as well as in a couple of other ones. It says not they're they're not enemies of the gospel. It says they're enemies of God. And I asked one of my um, which is I've never heard of the Oxford translation. What what is that? You know, people from uh, from Oxford like it's it's the one that scholars use. Well, I, I'm I'm a scholar. And I've never heard of it. <laughs> so new Oxford. I've never heard of it. But there's uh, quite a few that that do the same. Um, the New Oxford Annotated Bible it comes with the Apocrypha. Uh, anno, anno, what, what's annotated in it? Uh, it has their, you know, whatever scholars they have, their little um, summaries of each chapter. But looking at it in the Bible Hub, it even says, um, Good News Translation, because they rejected the good news, the Jews are God's enemies for the sake of you Gentiles. So it doesn't say that in the Greek, and they throw it in as as an a afterthought. That's the the Good News translation, the 
Oh, the good. It's, it's in the contemporary English version. It's, it's. Yeah, I want to look at the good news here. And quite quite a few of the of them, and for me, it's like, do they really have to like you know bring it home and just go all the way to add to the text? It's not in the Greek, and um, and to me, those are the the errors or the because anti-Semitism is is not based on on reality; it's based on preconceived notions and 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 reading into stuff. So, for someone to take uh, a you know, you, in a Christian perspective, it could even be like a beautiful passage that says, um, you know, they're beloved by God and one day they'll see the light or something like that to suddenly be like, oh, no, by the way, they're all condemned. They're all enemies of God. It's like it doesn't say that, but let's read, read it. Read it again in the Good News translation just so I can hear it again. Because they rejected the good news. The Jews are God's enemies for the sake of you Gentiles. Is that the end of the verse? And then it goes to the next one. But because of God's choice, they are his friends because of their ancestors. So they're enemies, but they're also friends. They're frenemies. And um, so, but the Oxford one pretty much leaves it at um, the Waymouth New Testament. In relation to the good news, the Jews are God's enemies for your sakes. But in relation to God's choice, they're dearly beloved for the sake of their forefathers. At the end, it kind of softens, but if you just focus on their God's enemies, it's not even in the text. So, so they're they're creating their own theology within the text. Yeah, yeah, they they are. What's really, I mean, you're you're right. You know, the God's enemies thing. It's not in the text, but even their translation. Here's why I wanted you to read it again. You know, as far as God's choice, you could say, well, choice is the same as election, but it it really. I mean, the term there is election, and that is a loaded term with the Old Testament. I mean, that 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 there's a special relationship between God and Israel, and, and this whole concept of election. So even the Good News translation taking that out, or or using some sort of more neutral word, that hurts too. You know, it 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 takes away any sense of the of of God's relationship, you know, to to His people in the Old Testament. Uh, so. You, you've, you've, this is this is a good mini commercial for not using the good news translation. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty egregious. It really is. You know, and there, I mean, for your listeners, you know, don't don't get too discouraged with this. I mean, on the one hand, yes, there are no perfect translations, but this is a good exercise. Uh, I always recommend because I get this question a lot. You know, what translation should I use? You know, and after I sort of joke and say, well, the best translation is the one you'll actually read. Uh, I, I know that that's not actually true. So I always recommend read from more than one because if you get a substantive disagreement, like you've pointed out here between the, the GNT and something else, that is an important thing to notice. And that's a place to drill down in, in your own personal study. And, and you'll find out, as you said, where are they getting this God's enemies thing? Because God's not in the text there. You know, I mean, this is a good exercise you know, to be able to do this. But uh, I'm sorry again to, to tell your audience, like I'm sorry to tell other audiences tongue in cheek here. But when it comes to Bible study, you have to remember a four letter word and that is work. Okay. It takes some work. It takes some commitment, you know, to, to ferret things like this out. But a good first step is, is look at things in more than one translation and you'll spot these things. Now, I, I don't know, you know, who, 
translated this a lot of these committee translations you know I know like the new American standard was famous for like having their translators names not published like it was a big secret and that's kind of unique most most other translations are, are, are fine with that so I don't know if the person who translated this was you know some sort of you know closet anti-semite or, or I mean who knows but I could say that's pretty careless you know, somebody took your translation, and now look what look look what they can do with it. That was careless. So I heard one time, and the the reason we we uh, we started the discussion is because I wanted to talk about the passage where it says, um, the it's uh, Revelation two nine. I know your tribulation and poverty, but rich you are, and the slander of those claiming Jews to be themselves. This is interlinear, so that's why it doesn't sound uh, properly, uh, and are not, but a synagogue of Satan. And I heard one time that um, somebody who was criticizing the New Testament was saying, it's interesting that in this passage, the word for for a, a, a Bet Knesset or Kahila for, for a place of gathering of Jews is used as a synagogue. It's a synagogue in the Greek and it's a synagogue in the English translation. But there are other parts in the New Testament where the term synagogue is used for uh, a congregation of of Jewish Christians or um, God fears, and they don't use the term synagogue. They use church or they use something else. But when it comes down to synagogue of Satan, they purposely leave it there. Uh, have you heard of that? And is that also uh, an abuse of the text? Well, it, it well, it is an abuse, and it, you just you just pointed out one reason it is. You, there is no clear demarcation of the term, you know, synagogue as only being with, you know coupled with the term Satan. You have you have synagogues being referred to just generically elsewhere with, you know, they're not bad. You know, they have nothing to do with Satan. You know, they're they're just they're synagogues. They're they're gatherings. You know, and you could have more than one word again describe that that community. But someone trying to make an argument that that synagogue, you know, this is these are the only you know the only place it occurs is Revelation two nine and Revelation three nine. It's associated with Satan. Okay, um, that's what you'd have to argue, which is just bunk. I mean, all you, all you need is a, is a concordance to overturn that. So, yeah, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's an abuse of the text. I'll tell you what else is an abuse of the text is in that verse, the reference to Jews is actually positive. You know, the, the, the Jews are being, you know, eudaios there in Greek is actually being contrasted you know, with this synagogue of Satan. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the, the whole point of what, you know, the writer's saying is that, you know, the, the term Jews there is, is positive. He, the writer wants the people in this particular synagogue to be in this other category, he wants them to be Jews. They, they say they're Jews, but they're not. They're over here in the synagogue. He wants them to be in the category called Jews. He's approving of that category. Now, that takes us into, well, who are the Jews that, that John is talking about? And, you know, you, there are actually four or five options for this. You know, this term, you know, was used in the early centuries for a person born a Jew, just an ethnic thing. You, it's used of pagans who convert to Judaism, you know, whether they're an official proselyte or not. They, they, they were called Jews. It's just somebody from Judea, whether they were ethnically, you know, from from one of the tribes of Israel or not, you know, they get called Jews. You know, I, I think it's fair to say because, you know, we're in the New Testament here is John wants these people 
you know, to be, you know, what like he is. John is a Jew. He wants them to believe, you know, in, in Jesus as the Messiah, you know, to be, you know, a, a Jew that's a real Jew, you know, circumcised to the heart, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it, <laughs> the New Testament writers are not running around, you know, saying that, you know, all Jews are awful people and, you know, all this kind of stuff. They They want them to, you know, sort of be in the same category with them accepting their Messiah because they, you know, the New Testament writers believe Jesus is the Messiah. You know, the, the other, the other thing that makes this an, an abuse is that, Hey, Jesus called Peter, Satan, you know, get behind me, Satan. Does, does that mean Jesus was anti apostolic? He was anti Peter. No, that the term itself just means you're on the side of the opposition. It's a loaded term for us because of the way it gets used in, in other passages. But, but Jesus calls Peter that directly. And, we've, and it's very clear, you know, in the gospel stories that Jesus still loves Peter. And he, even after Peter betrays him, he comes to Peter and, and you know, befriends him and redeems him. You know, he, he loves Peter. He's not anti-Peter. He's not anti-apostolic. He says, you're, you're in the opposition here. And that, that's how, that was a term that they could use to denote the opposition. But if you're, you know, if somebody can easily take this and say, oh, you know, the Jews are all satanic, you know, and then make this lame synagogue argument that like, this is the way the term is used when it's not like, who's going to check, you know, and, and I, people do think that like, who's going to check, you know, it, <laughs> I'm just going to say it because I'm going to say it because I need to say it. I want to say it. I like the way it sounds, you know, or, or maybe they're parroting something else. The, the Christian, and the New Testament writers here is what I'm thinking of specifically. Yeah, they can be mad when they're persecuted. Sure, they can. But they're going to view the Jews as the loyal opposition. These are the people of God. We want them to be, you know, to be Jews of the circumcised heart, to believe, you know, in the Messiah. You know, Paul, my heart's desire, you know, is, is, is that Israel you know, my people, you know, would, would come to the Lord. I mean, this, this isn't hatred. It's, it's a disagreement of opinion to be sure, but you know, it, it's not anti-Semitism. I mean, our, the problem in our culture is we take, and this is going to get worse. You know, we, we're, we're descending into, into sort of a paganized tribal culture, but just a bunch of tribes where any disagreement is parsed as hate. You know, I'm old enough to remember that that's just absurd. You know, you, 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 know, you, you grow up, you disagree with people in your own family. Does that mean you hate them? You know, disagree with, you know, your neighbor over it. doesn't, th these two things are not completely overlapping synonymous ideas, but they're treated as though they are. You know, so uh, again, you know, I don't want to just, you know, ramble on here, but I don't think we, I don't think we have any reason first of all. And I think we're without excuse. If we start to, to cherry pick, you know, the new Testament as a justification for hating someone, that's just unchristian. It's unchristlike. Um, you can get mad at somebody. Yep. I understand that we're all human. We're going to have dis disagreements, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, you're not supposed to hate people. You're not supposed to seek their demise in both Testaments, Hebrew Bible, New Testament, that is a mark of ungodliness. You know, it just, it's, it's wicked. You know, I don't know what else to call it. 
And I'll throw this into, I think it's a really bad idea for Christians to have a negative, and I'm, not, I'm even going a little bit beyond the, the anti-Semitism here. I think it's a really bad idea for Christians generally to have a negative view of, of we'll just say, Jews here, just to, to, to isolate them specifically. Because, you know, newsflash, the culture is becoming more pagan all the time. You know, we're, we're actually going to need each other. Christians who are, are serious about living out real Christianity, we're going to need, you know, Jews, and they're going to need us. Again, because we're going to be the, the, the ones who are still God-fearing in our culture, in an increasingly pagan, tribal culture that wants nothing to do with either of us. So I think, I think it's a really bad idea again, to fragment ourselves, even within the Christian community. We, we see so much fragmentation. This is a really bad idea with the culture trending the way it is. I think, I think we need to develop, we need to do more things intentionally so that we see that we're all in this together. Again, we're the, we're the God-fearers here. We need to stick together, you know, and, and just, you know, be in each other's corner because we're going to need that. We're just going to need it. And it's the right thing to do. Well, I appreciate you um, taking a stand because, um, you know, one thing that is disheartening is that whenever you bring up um, what happened during the, the Holocaust, where many Christians did not speak out because of fear or because they were too entangled with the government, uh, everybody always brings up uh, Diedrich Bonhoeffer. And, and, what all, and what nobody will tell you is that that was one guy out of thousands. So if if people can be, uh, if we had more of him, then we could um, keep this cyclical thing that is happening again, where people are being scapegoated, they, they're being, um, you know, lied about, slandered, and there and there's like this this um, you were talking about what makes supremacists uh, do what they do is that they they've been pinned against other groups, be, they have their own issues and their own struggles. And instead of dealing with those struggles, they're blaming on someone else and, and building up that hatred. So I appreciate you coming on my show and having uh, this discussion and, and bringing some clarity to things that can be distorted, abused, or completely falsified to, uh, to push an agenda that, as you say, is not consistent with, with the teachings of of, of the founder of, of Christianity and this faith that is very powerful and it has a lot of influence in the world. And, you know, we hear the Pope and other people talk about little issues, but we would like for, for uh, leaders within your community to take strong stands regarding issues like this one. So we appreciate you uh, doing that for us. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me on. And um, so uh, keep all your good work and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. I also wanted to respond to the, the lack of information regarding the subject of is the New Testament anti-Semitic because by bringing up the New Testament passages then it really builds a case against the New Testament and uh, something that is accused by some people of being. Um, no credible scholar thinks the New Testament is anti-Semitic. Instead they would say that it is anti-Jewish. The problem with that is that Judaism as a, 
institution wasn't established to that point. There was many Judaisms at the time of Jesus. And so it's more of a sectarian, uh, antagonistic, um, historical narrative in being sectarian it disparages other religious groups that don't agree with them. Um, many people try to defend the New Testament by claiming that the Hebrew Bible is antagonistic against the Jewish people for the rebellion or whatever they see. But that's a poorly developed argument because it supports a biased reading of the Bible. Uh, the Israelite prophets were harsh towards the apostate members of their community, um, not just like Jesus, but as integral part of the leadership system of that time. Jesus is usually uh, shown as like an outsider. Even though he's from Galilee and Judea, he's, he comes in to uh, random towns and busting people's heads, uh, per se. And um, he fights against his detractors. Um, most people who are very sensitive about this because of the persecution that's happened from it, they would say that, um, that his words condemn all Jews and there is no division between the Jews at that time, the specific religious groups, and people now, because that's how it's been interpreted. Um, so the theology um, of anti-Semitism is one of racial or ethnic prejudice. But religious anti-Semitism is the idea that Jews are incapable of redemption due to their sinful nature, something medieval Catholics and some Protestants at the time of the Nazis believed. And when Jews became Christian, they needed to be destroyed because... They were inherently evil. So um, in the German Protestants, uh, very few people lifted a finger to intervene uh, with the Nazi uh, propaganda and um, agenda. And they had watered down the, the Bible so much, the theologians before that, that um, it became a part of Christianity to hate Judaism. And to see Jesus not as a as a Jew, but as an, a Galilean Aryan somehow. Um, so the literal interpretation of the Bible uh, is based on the eyes of the beholder because people can emphasize one part or the others. There's a, an anti-Semitic provocateur in Austin named Texie Mars who um, says a lot of the same verbiage as the individual we're talking about and what he says is that um he attributes um also the death of the prophets to all jews and he infuses uh some of the the conflictive um soliloquies of jesus to modern day people so that goes back to how the bible can be dangerous on the in the wrong hands by people who are purposely manipulating it to condemn and to disparage some people. So, again, this is a very heavy subject. We've been uh, talking about it for two shows. Um, we're going to move on to a different subject next time. But I just wanted to um, close the show uh, thanking you for your patience to go through all these very um, disturbing uh, ideas and for us to keep... Um, working through, like Dr. Heiser would say, um, these things and to act like they don't exist creates more problems than to actually um, take them head on. 
So again, thank you for listening to The Mystic and the Skeptic. If you have any questions, please email me at mysticandskeptic, or one word, at gmail.com. You can also go to our Facebook page or our WordPress website for more information. And the WordPress website is mysticandskeptic.wordpress.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Mystic and the Skeptic.